This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to the Game of Thrones after show. Tonight we'll be discussing the Game of Thrones documentary, The Last Watch, which goes behind the scenes of the making of the eighth and final season of Game of Thrones. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Yes, you guys thought you were rid of us, but you are not. We are back in studio talking about the documentary that they made about the eighth and final season titled The Last Watch. I'm your host this evening, Kristen Elizabeth Snyder. And we have some OGs from the original Game of Thrones panel in the house tonight. We're so glad they could join us. We have Dave Klein, who actually convinced me to start hosting the show with. Yeah, yeah, we started together. So you're an OG, too. Please. I'm not the only one. True. I'm not that old. Thanks for being with us, Dave. And we've got Autumn Chicklis. We're so happy to have you back. She was with us for many seasons. That is true. And I would be here for many more if they would uh, continue doing it. I wish they would. Me too. And you guys know Battle Master and Professor from USC, Professor Jeremy Dan in the house with us. I'm finally the young, fresh face. (laughs) (laughs) He's the young, fresh face on the panel. It's true. So I don't know if you guys at home got to watch the documentary, but if you didn't, that's okay because we're going to tell you all the highlights. But before we get into the structure of the show, which we're going to go over the characters of Game of Thrones, some of their last scenes, then we're going to get into the departments that we got to see, the stunts departments, the prosthetics, the makeup, and then we're going to get into some of the characters that were featured that you wouldn't really think would be featured (laughs) in the show, some directors, some background cast members, and some things that we would want to keep from the set that we saw. But I want to first start with Dave and Autumn. Next week, we're going to do, Jeremy, Dan, and I, Anna Kay, some of the other panel members are going to talk about just the series of a whole, what we thought and maybe things that we would change. I've seen a lot of petitions and people rewriting the season and whatnot. I myself, was pre- I'm pretty satisfied with how it ended. I wish it was 10 episodes, but what did you guys think? The series overall. Do you want to start or should I start? I, I, sure. <laughs> I could start. Um, right. I Well, this, this series, the series overall or yeah. this season? I mean, Both. I thought... Seasons one through four were some of the best television I've ever seen. Season five was good. And season six started to fall apart a bit. Seven and eight, I honestly was kind of like... I was watching it to finish it, if I'm being <laughs> honest. I mean, like, I still... Like, it's the best production and produced show I've seen probably ever. Mm-hmm. Like, every aspect of it isn't fantastic. Except the writing kind of fell apart. And that's the most important thing, so... Sorry, that's my so honest opinion. you weren't satisfied in the end? It doesn't sound uh, like... I mean, like, I thought the, the choices they made were fine in terms of what the characters, where it ended up. It was just, just how... Just the way it executed Right, it was the journey and how it got there. Yeah. And yeah. I, except for some of the, like, Tyrion and Jamie's choices, I were not... I wasn't happy with Tyrion and Jamie, but other than that, the rest of the characters, I was fine. It was just the journey. Right. 
Autumn, bring us up from that. He's really <laughs> sorry. sad. No, sorry. I absolutely can. I absolutely can. So, um, ultimately, you know how obsessed I have always been with the show since season one. Mm-hmm. I'm, like I just mentioned, devastated that is that it is over. I will be watching all the prequels, all of that, all of that fun stuff. Um, the thing I like to focus on when we've had these shows in the past are the. Oddly, because I come from a filmmaking background, I like to talk about the story and the arc of the story. And when you actually focus on where the characters ended up at the end of it, I'm very happy primarily with what they've done. Some things I personally would have changed, but things that I wish they could have done, and I understand it was a timing issue, I do wish we could have seen some of these arcs play out a little more. um, Because something that we really loved about seasons one through five, right, was just the the lengths and the detailed scenes, the nuanced scenes that we would reference two seasons later. And it really mm-hmm. let the, you know, the pacing build and the pressure build kind of like a chessboard and puns, yes, right? The suspense was there. Yeah, but to be fair, um, like in a game of chess, once you've moved all of the pawns and some of the lesser <laughs> players around and you're left with the king and the queen, eventually it's just check, 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 <laughs> check. check. <laughs> so I do understand. Um, I do understand that uh, in terms of specifics, I love the idea of, as much as I loved Daenerys, I think we fought about this in earlier seasons. Yes, we did. Yeah, because I was not a fan of Daenerys. Well, I liked her seasons one and two a lot, but then she started to mimic Viserys to me, which was just starting to be more entitled. So that's why her turn for that wasn't surprising to me. I was fine with it, actually. The turn was fine. It was just how they got there. Right, I understand. Because I think that it was a... uh, The general arc is such a great villain turn. And Mm -hmm. to basically watch what would be a supervillain prequel, this entire series, is excellent and delicious delicious storytelling. I wish we had seen a little more of her curdling in Winterfell, um, seeing that people aren't embracing her in the way that she had hoped, starting to corrupt more. Uh, I think it kind of was like righteous indignation, righteous indignation, kill everyone. But yeah. Yeah. but I do really like overall what they ended up doing, even it, even though it pained my my poor heart. And I was wearing a Daenerys wig when it happened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so. the building blocks were so was there. I. That's <laughs> a weird thing. That is such it's a so funny. I, I saw this amazing meme after that episode finished, where it was like a monkey doing a side eye, where it said parents who named their uh, daughter's Khaleesi. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. It was just so... I was like, that's uh, hilarious. On the other spe- side of the spectrum, there were a lot of people who named their kids Arya. And they, uh... They, they won took that a good, one. Yeah, yeah, they did a good gamble there. They well, the other issue with naming your kid... This was the thing with Game of Thrones the first couple seasons is some people didn't realize her name was Daenerys. They thought it was Khaleesi. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So also naming your daughter Khaleesi, that was... That just... That wasn't her name. Yeah, I was talking to my dad about the show the other day, and I was like, oh, what'd you think of the Danny and John scene? He's like, who's Danny? I was like, what? Come on! So I think for us, it's like, we know all the nicknames. We made nicknames ourselves, but for a lot of people, it's like, the character who did that, and that's okay. But that's why you come to watch us, so we can get into it. But um, I want to first get into the topic of the characters of Game of Thrones. Because for me, and I think a lot of the viewers, this was sort of what I thought a lot of the documentary was going to be, getting to see behind the scenes of what the characters were doing. And we got a little bit of that, like with the table read. Yeah, and and that's where Daenerys, since we were just talking about her, Emilio Clark really shone through. She was probably the most featured of the principal players. And I thought in the final season, the strength of her acting was she did great facial acting, even though the writing wasn't quite up to snuff. And we saw her 
I think that word you mentioned was curdle <laughs> at Winterfell <laughs> when she realized her political base was eroding and in so many other scenes. And she did great facial acting. And in this this documentary, when she was doing the table read and shared a moment with uh, with Varys when they were talking about him, with Conleth Hill when they were talking about him being killed, she shared a moment with uh, Ian or Ian Glenn, Jorah Mormont when they talked mm-hmm. about that scene. So there was really some good stuff she did in this final thing because we see her in the... The makeup and hair chair. We got the best moments with her, I thought. What was surprising to me was the fact that, I mean, we we saw she dyed her hair blonde. I didn't realize they put a whole cap over her mm. head, even though she had dyed her hair blonde, to wear the wig every day. Well, something we were kind of talking about, because Sansa also wore a wig. Yeah, um, that was Turner. surprising to me. I think part of it is just a logistics issue, and we kind of were discussing this before the show, there's so many braids. It's such an intricate style. And you have to have a lot of hair for that. Part yeah. one. Two, just continuity. If you ha- if I don't know how many of you are doing a lot of braids at home. But, you <laughs> oh, know, me. If you, yeah. if you miss one, it just kind of looks looser. And to do that every day, it's tremendous amount of time and effort where you know this is like, these are the braids. This is what the look is, period. Um, and also just as someone who has, you know, had thicker hair, thinner hair in the fantasy realm, you want that like big, luscious kind of look. So that's probably an aesthetic. Yeah, that's well. also and just a morning thing for how long it takes to, yes. like you're saying, like, like putting on a prosthetic. It's like that much work to just create all the braids again. Ugh. So just same I time mean, in the morning before I, the shoot. I, I really felt like just me washing my hair. I, I like have to carve out time for it. It takes like at least an hour. It's so much work. <laughs> Imagine if I could just walk in, put my hair up in a ponytail, and like throw on that luscious locks and like sure. perfect braids. But it does take quite a bit of time because of the cap, That's and then true. you know putting in the um. You know, there's a picture on my Instagram right now of I we had a Game of Thrones viewing party the first episode, obviously, and um, I did go as Daenerys and my dogs. We have. Three Three dogs and they were all dragons it was great and um i have a picture where i'm wearing the wig and you really see the difference it's a very similar wig but i don't have an hour of uh prosthetics in the morning to really put in where your hair meets your head yeah. and that makes it look silly it does make it look silly yeah, yeah. i can't imagine all the time that they spent even though the hair was already done just going in there Another thing I enjoyed out of the table read, even though this wasn't specifically a character thing, was Mm. we got a brief moment of what the script originally said for Arya. So Arya killing the Night King, originally she was going to be leaping off of a mound of dead whites. And I think that's what we're supposed to assume, though, too. I I just figure she got the hops. She should be a basketball player. I don't know. You you just hear jumping. You don't see a mound of anything dead there. She had hops. I think she developed them in the House of of Black and White. Yeah, you know, that's part of becoming a master (laughs) assassin. you got to be able to jump really high. But that was a part, an aspect that I know the viewers did not like. They're like, how did Arya suddenly appear and get past everyone? But we saw her being very stealthy and learning how to be stealthy from Jock and Hagar and the House of Black and White. So that part wasn't hard for me. But I do think um, it was nice to hear that she had leaped up off of a pile of dead whites. But you can kind of assume that 
if you if you think about it, because Theon had literally cut down all, all of those them. whites, so it makes sense that there's not some clear path sure. she walked on. Uh, of all of the, you know, holes that you can or cannot point to, that that didn't even occur to me. That I was agree. definitely it didn't like, bother me. Th- I didn't bump at that at all. But what was really cool of, of the table read, and this is kind of a mix of what we saw and what I knew going into it, I had known that Kit Harrington did not read the final script yeah. until yeah. the table read. And seeing his reaction to him stabbing Daenerys at the Mm. end of it was a highlight of the whole documentary for me. To see him realize and come to... It's so interesting how devastated he was by that moment. Excuse me, he goes by Keat. Keat! (laughs) The fans were calling him Keat. Yes, Keat. Um, but that was that was a real highlight for me to see his reaction to that moment. And the fact... I don't know how he has that restraint. If mm-hmm. I, you know, I'd have been like Amelia, like, it's here, all right, I'm in it, but uh, yeah. wait. Also, if you're doing a table read, I think as an actor, you want to be prepared if, so you can really bounce off of people and have mm-hmm. your take on it already. But yeah, I don't, it's interesting that he decides to do that. They said that they had the scripts for three days, and they could have read all of them or none mm-hmm. of them, and some of the characters had and had not prior to the first table read. That was probably his own method acting. I mean, yeah. wanting to immerse himself in that moment, experience it in the way that we viewers did. I yeah. think that's pretty cool. I, I'd say that's a good creative choice. Sure. sure. I'm dyslexic, so I'd like to read it beforehand, so I'm not like, <laughs> yeah. hold, on, hold on. Yeah, I need to like take my notes and be like, anger is the emotion I'll portray here, and that's sadness <laughs> for that line, and okay, got it. Maybe a mix of those two. <laughs> no, but we did get to see Varys in that table read, and he was sort of like gripping Brienne, I think it was, um, as they read about her his yeah. death. And, and then, and then, throws his script across the table, or <laughs> drops it. You know, well, he now, was dead. That was his last watch scene. Is done. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, done. <laughs> it must Don't be very emotional, anymore. too. I mean, going through this journey, this is kind of like a Beatles moment, right? Yeah. Where Game of Thrones really changed the landscape of television, and it's also kind of was grandfathered in to be one of the last big... Uh, appointment TV shows that we have. There aren't many television shows where every week on Sunday or Friday or whatever, everyone tunes into yeah. this show. For nine years. For yeah. nine years. And, you know, every, now it's a lot more niche. You have mm. different, I mean, After Buzz specialized to a, these right. different fan groups for these shows. But if you don't watch Game of Thrones, it's like a thing. And then people are so used to the Netflix thing where it all just unleashes in one day mm-hmm. the whole yes. season, too. So. But, but speaking of that event television, I actually liked a little bit of a cutaway. I wish we could have seen more. But, you know... Before they were stars, before it was the event television, because oh, yeah. we saw the cutaway mm-hmm. of just a couple seconds when they had Call Drogo yeah, the and, season and others one. sitting yeah. there. That would have been awesome to hear some of those lines that became so iconic in mm-hmm. the season one read through, and then you contrast it with, with this read through. I think it would have been really cool. Yeah. Yeah. They talked about how Jon Snow was 12. When he walked into well, the was room, a joke. Was, a joke. <laughs> was it a joke? Yeah. Yeah. How old was he? How old is he now? I he's, mean, it was nine years, years ago. Old. No, I don't know, he's probably eighteen or twenty or something. Well, he was. He, he wasn't. Was he wasn't a teenager. Yeah, he looked young. He was though. not twelve. Season one. He was not twelve. Yeah, he wasn't but like, twelve. Arya was twelve. Arya's twenty-two now. Consider like, that. Okay, Arya was twelve. Was 20. It's because they they had yeah, him shaved for the only time in the show. He looked so young. Season one and at that first table run. Well, if you saw him on Saturday Night Live, he looked about that young again a few weeks ago. <laughs> really? I'll have to watch it. Yeah. But we also got some of their last moments. So John, of course, like gave a nice speech talking about how the show completely changed his life. Makes me realize how much better John did than me in the past 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> if you're around the same age, probably. 
Well, his last scene was the one with Grey Worm, where they kind of were fighting about, you know, Grey Worm wanted to do as his queen said and kill everyone who was fighting for Cersei, and they had that, you know, clash in that moment, um, and that little fight. So that was John's last scene, and he sort of gave that speech in the end, talking about, you know, he loved the show and how much it's changed his life. Mm. And you were talking about, like, he actually reflected on the fact that this is, like, maybe possibly one of the greatest things he'll ever do. Likely, and I think it's really special not just in film and television, but in any aspect of life, when you know something that is happening to you in that moment is special. Mm. That it, there, it's a very rare thing where you're living something and you know that it is going to be a pivotal moment in your life. Most things we reflect on and go, wow, that was pretty great. I can't believe I got to do that. Yeah. So it, I think it's a really wonderful thing that all of these people knew during this final season. It's why they did a documentary yeah. of the final season. Do you mean a special moment like right Oh. Now, this, at this episode moment. of After Buzz. Yes, <laughs> oh I'm going to reflect on this in ten years. No, but I, it was no really tonight, right now. At the end of the episode, you have to be like, "This was you this was a speech it. in the yeah. end." Well, in a British accent, <laughs> yes, and I'll cry definitely. But yeah, I think that that's a really wonderful thing that they showed throughout was how special everyone knew this was going to be, or at least the actors. A lot of the producers and screeners like, "I just got bloody." finish it i don't want to curse, but you know get it done get it done i think that's just yeah. how it is when you're stressed out because i i shoot a lot of things now and produce a lot and it's just like in the moment you're so stressed out mm-hmm. that you're like that's all you're thinking about but then when it's done you, you kind of as you were saying you, then you do reflect and you're like ah but that journey was so crazy and that was interesting but in the moment you're like oh my god there's this this and this and this and that needs to get done especially from a producer mindset like there's so much on your mind that has to get done i think about that so much with everything in my life and i was like i i want to get to a point where i can enjoy it Mm. you know and not be like i can't wait till this is over become an actor where you sit around (laughs) for five hours of the day and then act for three of it I know. It's hurry up and wait, as we learned in this documentary. One other thing I want to touch on before we get into our next subject is the fact that we got to see these characters be completely, you know, themselves walking around set, waiting to fill in their scenes, and then they'd be told that they had to be emotional in the next scene and and what their next scene that they were filming was, and they'd be like, okay, give me a moment. Oh, yeah, like Sansa. Sansa, she had her headphones in. She was very focused. She's like, I need a few minutes. And then we saw her get completely emotional to the fact that she was still crying when they were touching up her makeup. Like, I can only imagine getting in that moment. I know you act, so you can probably tell us more about what that's like being yourself and fine and to the next moment having to be in that break into that character and literally those are real tears she was yeah. very upset i mean every actor is different right so there yeah. are some people who i've worked with who they'll just be like absolutely emotional sobbing over someone and, oh yeah okay we're cutting and then they're totally out of it yeah. and then there are some people who are you know method who they don't break ever they're very i want to be in the world 24 7 um, and there's kind of a spectrum in between, but most actors I know when it's something that emotional and that, um, you know, between, it's not that they don't stop between action and cut, but some actors, it's a lot harder to go like, Hey Dave, how's it going? All right. Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. I liked, I liked the role that, uh, Sapochnik, the director played in a scene where I, I really liked the direction he was giving to get them mm. in the right emotion when you had Maisie and Sophie mm-hmm. on the wall of Winterfell and he talked about 
okay, I, I see this as a stomach ache moment, this creeping mm-hmm. discomfort. And they were talking about, oh, is this the first time you've seen a White Walker? I think it's the first time I've seen a White Walker. So that was really great, the way they talked about that, figuring out the emotional and mental state and their kind of level of awareness. I thought that was really cool, seeing that process. So- I wish, And I wish we saw... A little more of that, a little more yeah. of the direction to the actors, a little bit of what yeah. the gap was in this documentary. I wish, I wish we got more of that too with the directing. We, we had you, a lot on snow. Yeah, yeah, but we <laughs> not you, enough on John we, Snow. Yeah. <laughs> but you do have to think about just how much better and how much all these actors and actresses improved throughout the nine-year journey for them, because especially the kids. Like, I mean, that's a long. You know, like, you grow up acting like that and on this level. Like, how they've. I'm sure you know the actress who plays Sansa. She's gotten so much better throughout the years, and I'm sure, like, you know, she's realized what she needs. Like, she needs those three minutes of time to prepare herself, and she probably wouldn't have known that in the past. Mm-hmm. So I, it would have been cool to me, too, to see, like, uh, that sort of comparison from season one to season ten of how actors and actresses prepared, mm-hmm. as opposed to just the script read. But, yeah, I mean, it's just cool in that sense, though, seeing how professional they all have become. Sure. What's interesting is when I think it was Amazing Williams. I can't remember, but a lot of, you know, very young actors... And Sophie Turner was Sansa. Sorry, since I wasn't saying her no, name. No, 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 yeah, that's yeah. totally fine. Um, it's so interesting how, as they grow up, a lot of them have to learn to act because yeah. when they're children, mm-hmm. it's second nature. We're all actors as yeah. children because, you know, I'm playing mermaids, I'm playing pirates, mm. you know, you're in it. So it, they have to actually learn the craft of acting through watching such a mate to be surrounded by such amazing. You know, theatrically trained professionals in that kind of environment. They weren't too far out of it. This was the first major role, I don't know if everyone knows this, for so many of our actors. Maybe they had done one commercial. Maybe they had done one stage play. But the first, I mean, not even major role, the first role on any TV show for so many of the actors, including, I think, the ones we're referencing. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Well, before we get into our next topic, talking about the different departments that we got to see throughout the documentary, I want to ask you guys if you could keep a prop from any of the seasons, any of the scenes that we've seen in Game of Thrones, what would you keep? Jeremy Dan, start us off. I was going to say, I came close to this, the wall of faces, Oh. From the House of Black and White, because then you Ooh. could go out, you know, you could actually put those to good use in your, your daily life. You think so? I, 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 I went... Just scare every girl who comes to your place. Exactly. <laughs> I, went, I went with ice. I went with the Stark ancestral sword. You know that got melted down, right? It doesn't exist anymore. It's still a prop, I will tell you that. They still have that one. So I, I'd say that, that... Uh, it's very impressive. It looked great mounted to a wall. So mm. I'm going to go with that. And, and maybe in the back room, the uh, all the faces. <laughs> okay. Um, I already asked if I could say Drogon, but I guess not. <laughs> well, you can <laughs> have the stick with the I don't want that on stick with the thing on it. No. Um, I would probably either... It's too easy to say needle. Maybe you know what I might like the tiara that or the crown that they put on Sansa's head when she's yes. the Queen of the North. I think she has it. Mm. I think she does have I it. Love cool. that crown. You Sophie Turner kept it, you think? I think so. Yeah. I, that's I a great dress, too. Yeah. That'd be a good ensemble. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of dresses I would like in this. <laughs> like, if okay. I could take a costume, that would be a totally different question. But if we're talking <laughs> yeah. just, like, physical prop, I would, um, for now, I'm going to say the Queen of the North crown. I love that. You know, actually, I was, 
I was going to say long claw because, I mean, I feel like just the weapon is the cool thing that you can just put up somewhere and just be like, and it's recognizable. But they had that in, in Big Bang Theory. Yeah. They had what? that. Pro- yeah. But I was, well, now I don't want it. But, <laughs> but I was, I was going to say that, but actually what I really want is one of those cool jackets that they had. Oh. Those jackets were so dope. I want one of those Game of Thrones jackets oh. the extras got. You have to watch the documentary so you can see these amazing jackets that they all got. That's what I want. I want a jacket. Cool Game of Thrones jacket. Okay, so I can't just settle on one. So my first one would be a direwolf, actually, like following that's me around. Yeah, that's, that's why I said I can't say Drogon. Drogon. Well, okay. wait, you could get the head of a direwolf that uh, Little John Umber threw out. So would you like? No, that but can one? you imagine <laughs> just yeah. like walking around LA? Like yeah. everyone's got, got a little dog. People like, got I have this like giant direwolf. Well, I'm allergic, so that just joking about that. But like, it would be cool. To just, like, back me up in case I ever want to fight people. That would be right. <laughs> but what I was really thinking was I the necklace that was fake, that little finger had Sansa wear oh, for the wow. purple wedding with the strangler poison in it because you know, that could come in handy. So you'd want it loaded with the real poison. (laughs) Just for any party you go to, in case things get awkward. Like, maybe it wouldn't have to be. Maybe not the actual poison. You know what I would also want? I was trying to think about it. I'd want uh, one of those dragon eggs. Oh. Dragon egg would be cool. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. I just, I like necklaces, so... It's a lot more practical in, yeah. in wearing and poisoning reasons. <laughs> I mean, that's why I said a jacket. You know, it's not that's from the show, but it's from now it is. It was in the extra thing, so it's from the show. Also, the dagger that Littlefinger pretty much died over, gave to Bran, and then oh, Arya yeah. used to kill yeah. the Night King. Like, wouldn't mind that with my necklace and my direwolf, because then I'd just be like a badass. We're seeing hey, do you want to switch spots with yeah. me? Like, <laughs> you're like direwolf to protect you in a fight. The knife. The di- well, you, well, be, well, because clearly she's poisoning and killing everybody, so she's going to have a lot of enemies. That's Listen, fair. guys, what I'm saying is I just feel really empowered after watching Game of Thrones for the past nine years of my life. A lot of the characters commented that they don't know what they're going to do with their life, and neither do I, because I've been clean. hosting this. <laughs> I already have an inkling that I know, given the necklace and everything. I I started the books. Officially, finally started the books, because there was a gaping hole in my chest. The Battle of Blackwater (laughs) is so good in the books. It's so good. Not there yet. It's it's really good. mm, It's a good moment. (laughs) Well, let's get in. If you guys have a prop from one of the seasons, comment... In our comments below the show on YouTube, give us a thumbs up. It means a lot to us. It only takes you a second. Below the and show. let us know what prop you would take if you could from the show. I love that question. Let's get into our second topic, which is the different departments that we got to see throughout this documentary. And one that I really enjoyed was the stunts department because we got to see Vladimir, who actually led the stunt team, got casted as the Night King. Very cool. He's badass. Mm-hmm. Um, something we learned about him was he had a way to go. He could have either been a gangster with the <laughs> Czech Republic when the Czechoslovakia was breaking up yes. at the end of the Soviet Union, or he could become an actor and a stuntman and f- follow his theatrical route. And that was pretty cool. That he, he said it very matter-of-factly. Yeah. We also got to he see He could have been him. a bad boy. Well, he yeah. said most of his said. friends are dead, dead. now, yeah. so it seems like he chose wisely. Yeah, but that, I mean, that guy just oozed, I mean... I loved him singing and showing his goofy side, but showing his battle choreography just oozed 
confidence knowing every single move and that was pretty awesome show you know showing that he was not just cool in the ice cool ice cold and cool <laughs> in that role he he knew what to do behind the scenes as well so that was pretty rocking mm-hmm. i agree and he gave us a little bit of backstory about the night king i was like begging for the origin story <laughs> of the night king like through grand's yeah. grand's um green site i thought right. it could have been like a few scenes, and it would have been cool, but we a lot of... We did get it, though. We got, like, the him, the origi- birth, first men, like, basically being turned right. into a white wor- walker from the Children of the Forest, but yes. I wanted to know about that man. Mm. Just a little bit more so I would care. I just feel like in every good film, every good TV show, like, your antagonist should be just as great as the protagonist. And so for me, like, a few more scenes about who this man was and what made him so angry. Maybe he had a family and children and then he was taken and turned into this Night King and it was him getting revenge for his life being taken away. I mean, that could have been done so simply for me. Could have been. I I think where I struggle with that, because I never really craved a Night King backstory once he mm-hmm. turned into the Night King mm. um, because the to me it was always kind of a metaphor of the personification of either global warming or impending mm-hmm. doom so his specific like motivation wasn't particular of particular importance to me um, though George R.R. R. Martin is still out there and he still has two books to release so well, I'm also, sure you'll get some of it there also was no Night King in the books yeah that's what really? I heard yeah. no Night King up until at now least not, at least not yet I yeah. mean like maybe the sixth book will have one okay. Okay. I'm very early. I'm very early days into the books, but um, what I will say is, watching him goof around in his makeup—that was, you know, there's a dissonance, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter how familiar familiar you are with show business or uh, how these people transform. It's very cool when you see someone whose facial expressions have basically been limited to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> actually, you know, come to life in this way. So we saw fun. one little smile from him in the whole show. Oh, yeah. There's just that little smirk, though. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I took the whole thing to be a, more of a metaphor of, like, all the politics doesn't matter. Here's what the real issue is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of global And then it didn't warming. really happen. <laughs> but um, I, I enjoyed all the stunt stuff, too, just because a lot of my friends work in stunts. So it was cool, always cool for me to see, like, shows that utilize that to an extreme extent. And mm-hmm. also, like, the horse stunt that they pulled off was oh, really Jesus. cool, really briefly. Because <laughs> um, actually, like, for a show I was shooting, I was working with horses and doing some stuff. So it was cool to see a really well-pulled-off stunt, better than I could ever do. Yeah. So that was fun. How do they – do they treat the horses well in those circumstances? Yeah. Or Okay. Yeah. I mean, you have to. I mean, yeah, I figured. Yeah, because well, we just see him them like falling. Like, I was like, oh my god! I, I did. A, I did yeah. a shoot recently with horses, and uh, like they had, I had a separate handler just for the horse, and you have to. And it was one right. of those things where it's like we can't shoot unless the horse is okay. You have to stop shooting right now so we can feed the horse and give it water and stuff like that. Like they really, really take care of the horses. You, you would think it was just in the one moment. I, yeah, I, I think I said <laughs> I was hey, like, wow, they showed the HBO thing. show that Dave and I were doing. Luck got canceled oh, yeah. apparently yeah. because some a lot of. Horses were actually right. It was because they mm. would gallop the horses for races, and that actually is dangerous for horses. Is galloping like that to that, like a racehorse, and right. two horses got injured doing that. And when you a horse gets injured like that, you have to yeah, put it down yeah. because <laughs> it needs its legs and it couldn't recover. So. Yeah, that's why I look at cancel as Kristen said. Right. Show that we were mm. we were hosting yeah. on early days. Yeah, I imagine they were probably cantering the horses for a lot of the scenes, as opposed to straight on galloping. I right. would guess. Well, I was wondering because there's so many horses, so many human beings confined into such a claustrophobic space, at least on the screen. 
Um, I felt that way with Battle of the Bastards. I felt yeah, that way with yeah. Episode Three. You wonder how they, you know, are able with human beings. It's, right. You can tell them and coordinate. So it's got to mm. be a whole another process. There are just so many moving parts, and you see a lot of that in this. You know, I love seeing how many extras there were too. Like, actually, it was more impressive for me watching the behind the scenes in terms of extras mm-hmm. than when I actually saw it on the film for the show. Because mm-hmm. it makes you realize how real all of that was. Of like, wow, they really had that many extras and that many people. Like, the climbing and the scaling of the walls you see during the Battle of Winterfell. And there was, were all legitimately people really climbing on top of each other. I was like, oh, my God. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a lot. That's, I yeah. can only imagine. I mean, the night shoots must have been brutal. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah, we got to freezing. see just how badly that frayed a lot of people's nerves. I do want to talk about the location. You could actually the- see during the night scenes that they shot in the, <laughs> the documentary. And then they played, what did they play? Um, you Want It Darker by Leonard Cohen. I'm like, yes. I don't know if they chose this before or after I all the complaints. Yeah. that song, though. I wrote it down. I mean, I thought it went really well with the documentary. I didn't like all the musical choices for the documentary, but that one was probably my favorite. I added it to my playlist. So oh, yes. it's, it's, a great, it's a great song. It was just ironic as hell. That they were playing it during the you long night. Darker. Oh, no, just the during the scene that the they filming. shot that everyone complained was too dark. Yeah. So yeah. it was yeah. awesome. Exactly. But we learned that the locations were all rebuilt. I mean, they built King's Landing in, what, seven months, I yeah. think they said. Seven months. But to me, that was shocking because I would think that eight seasons of this show that they would already have all these sets and locations built. Well, they changed the geography of King's Landing in order to have the battle happen the way they wanted it. Now, my hypothesis was that it was global cooling that increased (laughs) the size of the ice cap that had the oceans recede because we had land where we didn't know there was land before. And they actually changed it in the opening sequence. And then they had that new wall and gate area. I didn't notice that. They did did change a lot of stuff around at King's Landing. Yeah, but yeah, it was definitely just a logistics thing, as they explained during the, the background. And just logistically, because they were like, well, we can't blow up a real city. Nobody would be okay with that. So, yeah, built a set. looked like they shot in that like set they built for like a week or a few days. Got everything they needed and then did the blow-up version of it. Sure. It makes yeah. sense to me that they didn't have exact replicas of all of these locations. Mm-hmm. Because it's just so much money and time to build a second location that, you, that already exists. Yeah. Unless... You intend on blowing it up right. yeah. with yeah. dragon fire, which they did. <laughs> yeah. So, so ruthless. And wildfire, too. Oh, yeah, and yeah. wildfire. Another department that we got a lot of is the prosthetics, which was actually um, a wife and husband and their daughter, Lottie. They actually got Lottie. to bring in. Lottie. And Lottie. she was an extra. And just seeing oh. their Puppet. faces in the end were so cute. I-, I thought something was so amazing about their story is from what I could piece together of it, they were essentially barely in the business when they yeah. got the job. They yeah. said they didn't have any of the equipment, the tables, the hardware. They created a spreadsheet, sent it in. It was just the husband and wife team. And essentially, they kind of faked it before they made it and got cast on the, the show of a lifetime. Probably the best opportunity yeah. you have to do that in a in a generation. And we got to, I mean, these are little characters in this, in this uh, documentary, along with their daughter Lottie that you're referring to. So I I'm happy for them. They they yeah. they filled their bank account for a lifetime, built a company. I'm sure they're going to get awesome work going forward. It was cool to know, like as a 
a business school professor and an entrepreneurship professor. These guys, you know, built a whole company and a venture around this. I mean, I can't imagine that if you see prosthetics of Game of Thrones on their resume, anyone would turn you down from the prosthetics department. What was really fun for me was watching all of these whites... Uh, and White Walkers walking around, you know, eating curry (laughs) on their cell phone and, you know, seeing people in that kind of extent of makeup, Mm -hmm. just, you know, talking and walking and eating snacks and, or what is it, uh, a wee toasty. A wee toasty. Yeah, one of the things that we learned from watching this documentary was what a wee toasty is. Oh yeah, I was making a wee toasty. So it means a little, like it's a panini or like a little um, sandwich. Wait, Wait, that's one of my lessons from the episode. Now I need to think of another one. We can still do it for a lesson of that episode. You can still use it. (laughs) What was it? Cheese, ham, like on lofty bread, like very thick bread. And then, yeah, they make it into a panini. That was another department we got a lot of was crafty. A lot of crafty. services and behind the scenes of them meeting stars. Like there's that one app singer who they were all starstruck by oh yeah that was a very quick i don't moment. know who that was but i guess she was on the show as an uh, you know and they didn't guest. show ed sheeran no, <laughs> no. Right? Well, that was season that wrong season that's true that's true. one more thing about the prosthetics um the wife the first time like she had put the prosthetics on about like 10 of the whites she wanted to be there when they saw her work for the yeah. first time mm-hmm. and so we got to see her like presenting her work and she was like what are they saying? Are they saying anything? Like, I really wanted, like, a round of applause or something. Like, yeah. uh, So it was nice to see her kind of being like, do they like it? Do they not like it? Did I do well? Of note, one of the few scenes with the producers and showrunner. Mm-hmm. With, with, yeah. with, oh, right. with, with Weiss and Benioff. So it's the first time they really worked their way into mm-hmm. the storyline, which, um, you know, it's not one of our main issues, but they, they were noticeable in their absence, but that's the time uh, Weiss actually came up and uh, appeared next to some of the, uh, the the whites, I think, to uh, get the closer look. You know what mm-hmm. I loved? I loved her talking about, you know, her job, the things that you don't think about and mm-hmm. what this documentary did capture um, in these little moments that are very tedious are the way that people individually construct their job where she, you know, she's in prosthetics and what we don't think about watching is she's going, okay, so his arm got cut off by a sword and he's wearing this thick fabric. So a sword wouldn't do that. It wouldn't cut through necessarily. So I'm going to have to, you know, maybe use a different material or maybe the arm would get like broken, but not cut off. And these are little details that you have to go through for every featured character. Right. Or even with the arm where they they were like, Oh, well it's going to be kind of obvious with the way that it's knotted up now when they put on the clothing. Yeah. Well, well, they referenced, we're going to roll this up. Like it's Miami vice. (laughs) But these are, these are things that I don't think general audience members really think about how every department is thinking about the reality of this fantasy. Every department is going, okay, yes, there are dragons, but what would dragon fire actually behave like in this area? Mm-hmm. And that that is so tedious and so amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think some of the production crew talked about being there sometimes for 18-hour days and, yeah. and f- like, night shoots after night shoots, months of night shoots. 55, 55 days of night nights. shoots. Vampires. You're nocturnal at that point. Yeah. 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 If you've ever, like, worked in a restaurant or a club, I mean, that just changes you as a human. It's, like, depresses you. I just can't imagine having to work on a show and be, like, I was just serving drunks. Like, But, like, imagine if you had to be at the top of your game, like, working on a show like this in the middle of the night with no sleep. I mean, it yeah. just, like, watching the documentary really made you reflect on how many people really sacrificed to be on this show and work on this show. At one point, 
the makeup lady was talking to Daenerys, and they're like, what are you going to do after this? And she was like, yeah, maybe hang that picture on the wall. I don't know. Maybe paint the fence. Like, just how all of their lives have been paused Mm. to work on this show. We'll have a little information about what they're doing next. Later. Ooh, a little tease by Professor Dan. He's full of secrets over there. A little Varys spider in our corner <laughs> of the room. Let's, oh, yes, no, do. we don't have a Master of Whispers yet, so. <laughs> yeah. I do Master have a question about Master of Whispers. Why would anyone need a, Why would Bran need a Master of yeah, Whispers? Yeah, that's a really good question. Because he's like, we don't have one. Like, you don't need one. Yeah, you, you see know everything. Past and future. If you want to assassinate someone, you need your Master of Whispers. That's Do you? True. If you know everything, always. If you want to, he's if the one that sent the You don't want to be the, the one to do it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It was that, and what? What is the wall for now? Also, why was Braun the master of coin? There's a lot of good questions. <laughs> uh, Braun is the least qualified person. He for was master all about coin. money throughout the entire show. And How spending much money? It. And all did. That's true. <laughs> So let's get into our third topic. So the documentary actually chose to focus on some characters that you wouldn't normally think a Game of Thrones documentary would choose to focus on. Like we focused on the snow guy. Snow guy. We focused on background actor number one, Andy McClay. We focused on David Nutter, the director, and found out some very interesting <laughs> characteristics about him. Um, was there anybody else that they... I think those are, like, well, the main... Oh, just, like, the prosthetics, the prosthetics yeah. Uh, yeah. husband and wife. So, yeah, like, the focus was really these other people who you would know about. Crew. David Nutter, I would completely understand. I mean, mm-hmm. he's yeah, been he's such a... Director. Yeah, he's a director. He's such a pivotal part. Um, but in terms of Snow Guy, who's... It's some it's something Reed. It's with the D. It's either Dan or Den or something Reed. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I want to look that up because I, I do want to give his name. Mm. Um, I understand from a storytelling standpoint how they wanted... To kind of give us a through line, a mm-hmm. consistent through line of some of these people who you would never think of. The guy who manages snow on Game of Thrones by, like, spraying, you know... It was water in bits of paper. Yeah, water in bits of paper. We should have at least had the now fire the fire wrangler, too. So we had the song of, fi- right. of ice and fire. <laughs> I should have had both sides of that. Good point. No, but, he, it was really interesting because we co- sort of got his backstory. He was like this orphan, mm-hmm. um, grew up without his parents, and then left an orphanage with not a lot of money and, you know, decided to find a career, and this is what he got into. And we got to follow him a lot of times on set. Like, he had stayed up all night putting snow in a certain area, and then they're like, nope. And he had to, like, pack it up and move it to a different set, or there wasn't water, so he had to have find a pump, make a pump. A quarry. Yeah. And to pump quarry. out of the, the lake to make the snow. Or then the so. issue that it snowed, so that ruined their fake snow. <laughs> but, like, I, actually, I thought, I thought it was actually, for me, interesting looking at him, because usually, you, as you mentioned, Autumn, you see the glam mm-hmm. in a lot of these uh, background documentaries and not the reality. And, I mean... Outside of the director and, like, some of the higher-up roles and the, like, lead actors, a lot of people just have really tedious jobs. That's really what it is for a lot of film sets. They're super tedious jobs and roles, and that's what most people do. And I thought it was actually a good thing to see more of a reality check of this is what actually goes into it. The real background. Right. Where most people see the Emmys and the Golden Globes and, you know, movie stars, or they think that people... 
in the film business are all just like rolling up mm. in their you know, limousines going, okay, you know, put my wig on and let me kill people. But They just edited that those parts out. Exactly. I, mean, the limos. I mean, even like seeing the directors, which you usually see in a lot of background features and the cinematographers, which I enjoy because I like, that's the creative aspect I like seeing. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's still not the reality of film sets where there's 200 people working on it who are doing the making snow, crafty roles and things to that extent that people just don't think about. Sure. And in that way, you know, this is, tech, you know, this is a documentary. And extra and, roles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it did document what it was like, which is stressful and yep. in a lot of ways, very tedious and a lot of hurry up and wait. Right. Like you see the producer who talks about for a moment, like you see them at the beginning where they're like, okay, this is going to be rough. Like this is how hard it's going to be. And then halfway through, they're like tearing out their hair. Cause yeah. I, I'm guessing that some shoots went over schedule. So they're like freaking out about it and super stressed out. And I mean, that's, that's not say what you will about game of Thrones season uh, eight, but that's how every shoot goes. It's always like that. So it's not just this. So it's just, I thought it was a good thing. They showed that. Never mind the production that went into every, they even mentioned this. Every episode of this last season was the equivalent of a feature film. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. but on a TV schedule, which is significantly shorter. Mm. So that it, it's, um, an incredible feat that they pulled this off at all. Yeah, even in two years. I agree. I want to touch on before we get to Jeremy Dan's favorite character of Game of Thrones. <laughs> I want to touch on David Nutter. So we got an interesting <laughs> point of view from him. We got to see his assistant sort of um, printing off some storyboards, if you will, of where David wanted all the characters to be. They printed it on this like gold paper that David's famous for using. You know, all the directors I'm sure have their quirks and their mm-hmm. certain way of doing things. Mm-hmm. They commented on he was sort of known for this penguin walk, <laughs> which I don't know how he felt about that or if he knows about that. He never commented on him on it himself. So I'm not sure I would have included that. But <laughs> it was interesting because they were like, Um, are you this organized in your other parts of your life and he's like no i have like a maid come to my place twice a week and then we actually see him packing up when the show's all over and leaving his apartment so it was interesting that the bits that we learned about him but he was giving speeches to everybody and telling them what to do so we got a lot from basically his point of view and what his job looked like behind sure. the scenes yeah one element uh, one line or one quote from him that i really resonated with me because i think of this final season uh, so much of it was amazing. Uh, the cinematography, the sets, costumes, locations, mm-hmm. music, and David Nutter. And well, what was let down was a bit of the writing. But David Nutter commented, "I'm the conductor of fine musicians who mm-hmm. waves his arms around." And it seemed to me that, like, I thought it was great. We featured some of the fine musicians tonight. I would have liked to have seen the literal musicians and the VFX people and some of those other things. But I think that captured a little bit of what the the essence of the final season was, was the fine musicians that maybe didn't have the best uh, score or sheet of music to read from in this final season. Mm -hmm. I think it's also just a good tell on a director's role, really, is that you're just working with all these super talented people and putting all their talents together. Right. I think... I feel like coming from the Midwest, a lot of people don't understand exactly what a director really does. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that a director has a DP's role or a cinematographer's role and things like that. So it was nice seeing a different take, like a real take on it in this too. It's true. People really don't understand why the director is so, so pivotal in film and television. 
they think it's kind of like, all right, he's the guy holding the camera and seeing what the shots are. I always thought it was the person that did this. (laughs) (laughs) But it it is so important and to have so many moving parts, especially in this final season where everything that could possibly go wrong could throw th- throw millions of dollars into the balance. Yeah. That's tremendously stressful. I mean, my apartment can be a mess just mm-hmm. because I'm stressed I didn't do groceries when mm-hmm. I was supposed to. I, I can't even imagine feeling the weight yeah. of... All, and I mean, you know, we can talk about all of the things that we would do differently, but the weight of millions and millions of fans waiting breathlessly with, you know, their Daenerys wigs on for the show to come out. I completely understand. Who would do that? A loser. (laughs) A total loser with no life. Um, But, yeah, I I can imagine that not only would it bring out the quirkiness, it would bring out a tremendous amount of stress and the fact that everyone commented that they really felt like a family and that no one had an Mm -hmm. ego and that everyone was really kind. I think that's extraordinary considering how many people walked onto that set. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they barely had time to sleep, let alone do anything else, which is why they talk about their lives being on pause. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I've worked on sets and my place, like everything in my life has been a disaster just because like I'd get home just to sleep and wake up and go do it again. So not a knock at you, David. We understand why your place was a mess. We understand all the hours and everything you sacrificed be you know five different continents oh my god all the flying the traveling and we didn't even talk about that anytime i fly like takes it all out of me it's so draining and they were flying you know everywhere to film belfast which we got to see some tours are now happening in which we'll talk about shortly but something else that they said um you get the best people around you and you let them go and do your thing and obviously that's what they had to do because there's not people who can do checks and balances for constantly i mean dave and and um dan uh, they could only be so many places so often so it's good that everybody was just good at their jobs that they hired because that was so important to get something like this show which i saw has been watched in 180 countries it's the most popular show in the world I mean, that was one of the few facts that we got brought to us in the beginning of the show. (laughs) All right, Jeremy Dad, I'm not going to put this off any longer. Mm. You can finally talk about your favorite character, who we got a lot of this documentary, (laughs) Andrew McClay, who was the number one background actor who you actually thought was Helen Reed. Kristen, you may (laughs) recall in our... I do. ...our before-the-season prediction show, where I said that one face... One actor would play a seminal role in this final season. And since this documentary counts as a part of the final season, I win. Because that person was Andrew McClay that we learned a lot about tonight. Now, I had seen this fellow's face um, in previous seasons and noticed it, but I actually thought they might have recast him and given him a major role because he started popping up in the last couple seasons in some amazing places. So in the, in the booth... If we could put up photo number three, which you have up on our monitor right now. This is right before the Battle of the Bastards. And we get a huge shot of him and on his very distinctive beard. And then if we can go to photo four. Yes, there he is circled. That extra bit of technical work I did. Now he is flanking. He is right next to Jon Snow in his central position in the battle. You are not accidentally placed. You have to be an officer commanding troops. Then we can go to the scene where he is. Uh, Jon Snow is declared the king in the north. So right if we there. if we can have uh, picture seven, well there he is. Yes, there is that, is that picture seven. 
But uh, picture seven, there's a cutaway of him. I don't even know how you can see him. These are so dark. And but Jeremy, you are literally Andrew McClay's number one fan. I know, I am. And, <laughs> and is this another one three right now that is, you're pulling from? Is, uh, no, exactly. This is uh, the season before. And if you go to photo eight, uh, Andrew McClay, this actor, <laughs> is in the center. We hey, just I don't know had how you saw Lord yeah, Manderley declare uh, Jon Snow king in the north. Then we had Lord Glover declare Jon Snow king in the north. And then we have Andrew McClay, oh who I think must be a northern <laughs> lord. Oh, wait, go back to the previous one. Um, to start the chant of king in the north, king in the north. Then Andrew McClay is featured in the same sequence next to... Uh, Liana Mormont and Ed and just a couple of other more major deaths during the battle at Winterfell. And he is one he's the only extra that essentially we see him cut to the blue eyes. There we go. He is the only extra we see open his eyes and have that little click of turning into a white. So this yeah. guy, my prediction was he'd be central to the final season. He was <laughs> I win! Wasn't he was he, uh, central to the documentary. He was and central. About but, it. So, by the way, that guy was a hero. I mean, how funny was he in this final uh, documentary episode? Uh, he had a great speech about how this, much this meant in his life. I mean, I thought that was, along with uh, Kit, Keith Harrington's speech, Keith. Uh, kind of the most emotional moment of this. I would, and th- then we saw him later as a tour guide, as you mentioned, and he was incredibly funny. I would say to Hollywood... Cast this man. I mean, have him in some of the sword and sorcery movies, superhero movies, whatever. Have this guy. I mean, I guess. He deserves it. He should be a star. There are no small parts. They're only small actors, I guess. Wow. Um, Wasn't he also in the fifth or sixth episode during the part where uh, John was trying to stop Grey Worm from killing the... Yes. 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 They they recycled him after. So, what would you say the meaning of that is that he became a white, but then. Was a Northern Army member once again. This is getting very well, reddity very quickly. <laughs> it's possible, like Uncle Benjamin, that the Children of the Forest came down and stabbed him with dragon glass and brought him back to life. Oh. <laughs> right, I remember that. Um, Basically, anyway, if it's an I episode, think, it deserves Andrew McClay. Which well, is why they good did for it. him. The yeah. thing That's I liked about him is he said his house burned down, and and like then he was there like days later for his first day of filming, and then we got to see at the end during the rolling credits that he has made this into a lifelong job. It looks like if he doesn't get any more acting roles, it looks like he'll be a tour guide showing people around all the different sets that they filmed, which I think is cool. Let me say this. If he can get to L.A. by next Sunday, (laughs) Andrew McClay, when we wrap up our show next Sunday, be on this panel. (laughs) Formal invitation. Formal invitation. Either on this table. We we have a lovely couch. I think this is literally his biggest fan. Ireland, this is right? the McClay I mean, he yeah. Ireland. Yeah. Well, that he can. He said something very uh, poignant, and you start to talk about it, which was his. Um, oh my god, I had a point, and now I'm forgetting it. What was the last <laughs> thing that you said? House burning down. Yes, thank you. So, um, he was talking about his house burning down, and sh- uh, the makeup woman was ta- talking about how she thought it was miraculous. He showed up. And he said, well, you know, I get to escape from reality. This is Mm -hmm. the fun part. And I think what Game of Thrones has been for so many of us who 
either love fantasy or don't, because I always yes. said that this show, you do not have to be a fantasy oh, fan to really agreed. enjoy the show, um, has been such a tremendous escape from reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though it can be a darker reality than some of the ones that we live in, it has, for the last 10 years, and, you know, I'm 25 years old now, and I was, so I was, what, 15 when the yeah. first ones came out? Damn. Um, you know, uh, it's a very formative I got Harry Potter when I was a kid and then, you know, Game of Thrones, yeah. like, which is like <laughs> Harry Potter for adults, right? So I got, I lucked out generationally, but uh, it doesn't matter when, how old you are when this came out. It really has, for the last 10 years, served as such a tremendous escape for all of mm-hmm. us. And the fact that they've been able to tell such a tremendous story visually in, in 180 countries is really, really spectacular. I agree. And that, that many people have come to appreciate this one piece of art that we can all continue to talk about. I'm sure this show is going to be continued to be received well by generations to come. Mm-hmm. One thing that we wanted to go through is three, th- three things we learned from this show, from watching the documentary that maybe we didn't know before. I know we talked about the We Toasty. We talked about How to make snow. snow. That's what I learned. Yes. I know how to make snow. So next time I shoot, if I need snow, I got it. Bye, Thanks, George. bro. For me, it was that I was shocked that they had had to rebuild all the sets for season eight. I just imagined they had all these sets built and were continuing to film off those same sets. I what learned about, about David Nutter's badass penguin walk. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, you took mine, which was the rebuilding of King's Landing. I did not. I thought that a lot of it would have been CGI, the yeah. destruction. I didn't realize that they physically mm. burned it to the ground. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. Raised that. So again, um, my main learning was about the Wee Toasty. I think uh, Chris, I, I think we should work on a Wee Toasty franchise situation here in the U.S. I think that would be a, a big hit. Food, um, truck. food truck. Also, for as much as they had <laughs> yeah. the spreadsheets and the Gantt charts and everything on the scheduling, they really kind of screwed the pooch by filming in Northern Ireland first and then going to the warmer right. locations later. Why not reverse that? Because they they talk about the hell of this cold situation in Northern Ireland as they were filming that. What if they scheduled that mm-hmm. a couple of months later to do the 55 nights of filming? And um, finally, I really thought it was cool, that just little cutaway when they had Jock and Hagar and the Waif and the Night King in their southern locations. That was a really cool subterfuge, anti-espionage thing that uh, I would have loved to have seen if they did little bits of dialogue and whatnot, if if, uh, we could have seen that in this Yeah, I mean, we were told that they had filmed other alternate endings so that no one would really know what happened. And it was nice to see that those other characters had come back. But I think to your other point about why they maybe filmed in the cold first was because I think they wanted to get the bulk of, like, the story and what was most important to season eight out of the way to see how much time they had left for everything else, as it would be my guess. <laughs> they even said, though, once they, in the documentary, they wished that they had scheduled it differently did, because yeah. of the, the weather situation. That's why most things are were at least filmed in Los Angeles. Weather's pretty consistently Yeah, nice. yeah. yeah. Except like the weekend. past few months. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. We can't we can't be perfect. All right, Jay Dan. Jay Dan got us some news. If you're missing where these characters are going to be seen next, where you can follow them, Jeremy has done the research and he's about to report for you. Yeah, I was checked. Yeah. Exclusive. Okay, I I was checking out a little IMDB to see where we can find all these actors. Mm -hmm. Like Andy McClay? 
Uh, he's going to be ever. His next appearance is, of course, perhaps in this very scene next <laughs> week. Good, good. But uh, Amelia Clark is going to be uh, in a movie called Above Suspicion with Thora Birch and Johnny Knoxville. So that will be interesting. Then she's she's uh, filmed and they're preparing for release a movie called Last Christmas, which is a romantic comedy with Emma Thompson, Michelle Yao, and Henry Golding from Crazy Rich, Rich Asian. So a little bit of beefcake in there. Um, Peter <laughs> Dinklage, not on the screen, just in voice. In The Croods 2, an animated mm. movie. And... Angry Birds movie, right. too. All right. Maisie Williams is going to be in the New Mutants, which has been, I think, in post-production for like six years, uh, playing a, a derivative group of, uh, within a derivative group of X-Men, yeah. but it's had some trouble in filming. And in a movie called The Owners, which is about a group of friends that plant, uh, plant a robbery, Sophie Turner, famously uh, in Dark Phoenix yeah. in about a week and a half, playing... Dark. <laughs> I'm very excited about that. Uh, Liam Cunningham uh, will be in the Hot Zone tomorrow, Monday, debuting on the National Geographic Channel about an Ebola outbreak. Uh, and Squadron 42, which is actually a video game, but check out this cast: Gary Oldman, Mark Hamill, uh, Sophie Wu from Kick-Ass, Jillian Anderson, Ben Mendelsohn, who was just wow. in the Captain Marvel movie, and Andy Serkis. Yeah, Mark Hamill actually has a lot of voiceover, so yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and then Kit Harrington, nothing. Nothing on IMDb. He <laughs> is marched north of the wall. He needs a break, a little seclusion just to Went to off hang with out his wildling. Yeah. I don't blame him. I would take five, too. Get yeah. back on a non-nocturnal sleeping schedule and, a, yeah. right? you know, relax for a little bit in somewhere nice and warm. Yeah, I mean, what role could be presented to you yeah. after this you that you're th- like, yeah, I'm ready. I want to do that. You have to think, Kit's like probably spent of all the cast members uh, the longest time in the cold locations. Oh, yeah. Because outside of King's Landing, he was always somewhere cold. <laughs> yeah. Man. I'm wondering the screen time for all these actors. Like, our primary characters who had the most screen time, I'd say he's... I'm willing to bet he's one of we them. We should check it out for next week. I heard at one mm-hmm. point recently in the season, there's actually an infographic about this, that uh, Tyrion... Had the most, oh. but that'd be interesting for us to check yeah, out how it, how it ended. Tune in next week when we're going to discuss that. You have your homework. Yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm wait for you to help me with that, Professor Dan. Uh, but guys, as you know, next week we're going to be doing a series wrap-up. We're going to talk about our famous, our favorite famous moments <laughs> from the show, the series. I particularly love... Um, seasons five and six. I just did my rewatch. I'm finishing season eight again, rewatching it. I I liked five and six my, were my favorite, but we're yeah. gonna dive into it. Maybe things that we would have changed. I've seen a lot of videos, mm. people rewriting the ending. So we're gonna talk about all that next week. Join us same time, same place. But these guys have been doing some amazing things, which is why you have not seen them on the show. You know you can follow me at Cinematic Escape on all the mediums, and I hope you do. But Dave Klein, you've been doing like a lot of video game stuff. Where can uh, people keep lo- up with you? Uh, so I work for GameSpot Universe as producer and also host. So regularly, if you check out that network, I'm there creating things. Uh, Dave Control is my YouTube channel. That's doing pretty good. A lot of video game stuff. And I don't know, post for a lot of networks too. So there you go. And... Also, sorry I didn't love the writing of season seven and eight. <laughs> que sera, sera. There's other people that feel that way too, but you can follow you at the Dave oh, Klein, right? Yeah. 
And then Autumn, I know you've been writing. I've been meaning to get a copy of your book, but I I just like all your posts on Instagram that I see about (laughs) what your mother, her advice to you. I mean, you can probably tell us more, but I think it's hilarious. And I needed to get a copy of this book and get it signed, of course, I hope. Of course. That's not even (laughs) a question. Well, she's probably watching right now. I'm going to turn on my phone and be like, your jawline looks great, honey. (laughs) Um, Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully that's it. But yes, I do have a book out. It's called Smothered. It's available everywhere, but uh, mostly you can find it on my Twitter and my Instagram, which is my name at Autumn Chickless on both uh, on both platforms. That's awesome. How long did it take you to write that? Took me a year and four months yeah. about that from is start so to finish. Cool, but when I saw you were doing that, I was like, amazing. Because I just know from all your commentary here over the years, I know that you're a great writer. Oh, just from all you. the different points that you bring up, I'm like, there. I'm always interested to hear what you have to say. So I'm really excited to get this book. You're so sweet. I cannot wait to sign <laughs> it for you. Thank you, <laughs> Jeremy Dan. Do we have to take a class at USC, or where can we follow you? You can oh. find me here. Oh. Here next week as we wrap things up. And uh, if you haven't canceled your HBO subscription yet, watch Chernobyl and find me on the Chernobyl show. That's an incredible show. It has some Game of Thrones alums. It has some awesome British accents, not Russian accents, if you need that. Uh, that fix so check that out and that will be available Tuesday night as our after show Chernobyl love it thank you guys again tune in next week to watch us wrap up this show oh I don't want it to be the end Valar Margulis Valar Margulis (laughs) your watch is over oh hate it bye guys thanks for tuning in bye our founder Kevin Undergaro and me Maria Menounos would like to thank you for tuning in to After Buzz TV Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. (laughs) The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.